0: Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potzaghiere, your host, an artist and educator. Anthony Burtis shared his story of finding refuge and courage in art. He talked about imagining a queer space and how he creates that imagined space. He also spoke about the idea of being a parallel player alongside his young students and his continual work to move away from facilitator or director in the classroom. I loved hearing about his process and all the research behind his work. I also loved how he is able to incorporate play and whimsy among all the references and context that goes into his work. If you can, take a look at his work while you listen. As a queer maker, Eric Anthony Burtis from Erie, Pennsylvania, continuously finds ways to imagine and embody joy through his practice. Navigating the new normal as an elementary school teacher and studio artist, he finds himself working in the hours from 5 to 11 p.m. in his studio. His work embraces a maximalist aesthetic of archival research, personal secrets, and pubescent gay boy glamour. Entering their installation, the audience is transported to a new world. Thrift store cast-offs and hobbyist craft supplies are reassembled into a cast of characters that blur the lines between ghost, creature, and friend. For Eric, the studio becomes a haven in periods of instability, insecurity, and oppression. Happiness, play, and pleasure are not only sought after during difficult times, but are arguably necessary components of survival. Joy is an act of resilience, a critical method of subverting hegemonic narratives of suffering. Queer joy in Eric's work is found through forms of exuberance such as world-building, materials, and escaping into new types of textile processes, like quilting. Eric is a teacher of preschoolers. In his classroom, he tries to become a parallel and collaborative player in his students' activities, hoping to not only build a deeper connection to students but also support their development in a way that is true to their interests. They have received their MFA from Virginia Commonwealth University, Eric has exhibited work at the University Galleries of Illinois State University, Stay Home Gallery in Paris, Tennessee, and Bunker Projects in Pittsburgh. His work has been published in Hiss Mag, Emergency Index, and American Painting. Let's hear from Eric. I am talking today with Eric Anthony Burtis, and I'm excited to hear more about your artwork, your teaching, where and whether they kind of come together. And I like to start with just sort of your background, if you could kind of walk us through how you got into both things.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be a part of this. Hi, my name's Eric. My students call me Mr. B, and I kind of have like this long meandering road of battling with like, am I an artist? Am I a teacher? What am I? Like, I'm queer. Oh, I haven't found myself. Like, I don't see a lot of queer teachers like I can't be a teacher they're going to call me a pervert like Mm -hmm. oh this is this negative thing happened to me and I shut down and went went into the hidden my artwork and then through that like got a lot of bravery and anyway so my grandmother was an art teacher and when I was born she was just kind of you know grandma to me and it was one of my like favorite places to go was grandma's house she lived blocks away with my grandfather and their you know beautiful brick house and they had this like closet of art supplies that she just kind of like had and this was you know before like video games and phones obviously (laughs) but it was just kind of like this space to draw and experiment with things and sometimes she would show me something I remember she showed me shading like how to shade Mm -hmm. which was like super exciting. And she also kind of showed me how to, like, sketch something out before you, like, made a defiant mark on a drawing. So, like, getting your proportions correctly for, like, a person. But that was kind of my main introduction to art was this time at grandma's house that that I have a twin brother that we both worked with and kind of like would work next to each other and like this parallel play building our own worlds drawing our own things occasionally very rarely but occasionally like drawing something on someone else's paper and then responding to that but like you know the surrealist but we never we didn't call it we didn't think we were doing that <laughs> we didn't know we were, <laughs> but yeah that was my main introduction to art and I have I loved art from elementary school to middle school to being in high school like it was just the, something that I really loved to do and I was like always interested in other things I never was like great at them but like I did them like I ran track and cross country and mm. I was in the musicals and stuff like that and I think some of the theater things like play into my performance practice but I was never really good at math or anything like that so like art was just kind of like the natural thing that I gravitated to towards like choosing my career wanting to go to college and things like that I went to Westminster College and this is just like long-winded but they didn't really have an art program and so Mm -hmm. I oh I will also back up and say my twin brother and I were like friends but I was like I needed to make my own define myself and you know I was coming out I was becoming queer figuring myself out and I just really wanted to figure myself out not in a school that was like close to my community so I was like no one's going to Westminster College and so (laughs) I they have an art program I'm going there Mm. and so that just was a time for me to you know like to make out with boys and get drunk and like (laughs) and you know like also be in an art program but Um, it really wasn't the right fit. So I decided to transfer to Slipper Rock University, which is in Western Pennsylvania. And it had a small but mighty art education program, but their degree was you get a BFA and then you get teacher certification. So you had to go to Pittsburgh to get at a smaller private university to pay for the teaching certification. And Slipper Rock was a state school, so it was affordable, cheap, and I was like, I don't want to pay for that. So I, (laughs) I found an AmeriCorps program and I moved to Philadelphia and Mm -hmm. I was in the process of like being a, like thought I was going to be like doing more art. Like I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm going to be an art teacher. And then they were like, surprise, you're a seventh grade reading teacher. And (laughs) yeah. So I found myself teaching myself how to teach reading Mm -hmm. and drawing in my sketchbook. Um, i like moved to philadelphia with not like literally nothing i was like putting things in storage at my parents house and taking like a shoebox of art supplies and like reading up on how to teach reading and it was like a wild Mm. time but it was also one of those spaces where i was young and not as confident as i think i am now and my understanding of like race dynamic was way different i was the only white person White, like, leader in the classroom and teaching middle school. Um, so, mm-hmm. and I was obviously queer presenting, like, my voice doesn't sound masculine. Like, I am not like a football player or like, you know, stocky build. So, mm. I didn't project masculinity. And so, I found myself getting called faggot every day. I found mm. myself, you know, like, a parent bringing a baseball bat to school. And like, Ooh. it was just like not the experience that I saw myself in for the rest of my life. Mm. And it was very stressful. And I started to build, you know, strategy and like, you know, it's like not their fault that they like had this phobia that took a lot of consciousness, I think, for myself. And I started this saying that I was like, hey, I just want to know when you use the word faggot, it creates an unsafe space for people that identify as, you know, whatever, gay, lesbian, transgender, mm. queer, like, it's just not a nice word. So I'm just going to ask that you not use that word around me anymore. Thank you. Um, And that was kind of how I would address that issue. And, you know, throughout the year, my kids would accidentally say it, it would just slip and I would just stop what I was doing and go, hey, like, we're just not going to use that language anymore. You know, you messed Mm -hmm. up, but don't use that word around me anymore. Thank you. And they got to the point of some of them being like, I know, Mr. B, like it was... Obviously that time, that mental space, I did what anyone was going to do. I applied for my MFA. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I didn't get in anywhere. I had a portfolio from my undergrad that I was like trying that was like two years old, and I was mm-hmm. trying to like figure that out. But I did get an opportunity at Temple University to in their fiber program to do a post back. Mm-hmm. I was very interested in material and I was very excited about material and this potential that like cloth and any flexible thing could be and I was also really fascinated with you know queer history and like queer theory and Mm. putting it together with a faculty named Jesse Harrod who was kind of just like my queer parent who just like gave me a chance and I spent the year doing this post-bac and you know getting confidence and exploring performance and costume and lots of sequins and like lots of pageantry and thinking about the coquettes and Lee Bowery and all of these like queer history, like 1960s, 70s, before I was born, 80s, like 90s performance art Mm -hmm. and trying to like channel that into my work. And it kind of created this really flamboyant, gimp mask wearing superhero that I would just call like the friend of gender equality. And I, my first performance was taking that, taking a Gimp mask and like seven bananas and dressing from my, you know, everyday clothes to this pervert self in some way, eating the bananas while saying, I just want to let you know when you use the word faggot, it creates an unsafe space for Mm -hmm. people that identify as gay, lesbian, transgender, queer. I'm going to ask that you not use that word around me anymore. Thank you. And... As I'm eating these seven bananas, you know, it's like, oh my God, how many is he going to eat? How many is he going to (laughs) say? And that was kind of my like entry into performance art. And Mm -hmm. like, I think the work that I kind of have and the world that I've just started building to imagine a queer space for myself, for my students, and for other queer people to think as a utopia, but obviously... Utopias are not all things. So, there's obviously some parts of the play that is a dystopic world. And that started to feed into my confidence. You know, I was like being, I was seeing myself as the artist, but I needed a job, but I was really good with kids. And I started teaching on the side and like doing long term sub gigs. And yeah, that was kind of how I found myself working with younger audiences. And then I was subbing, I was doing great things, I was making art. And I decided to apply for grad school again, and I ended up getting into VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University, in their FIBER program to work with Aaron McIntosh, who is, was a queer mentor and was also a part of the Queer Threads exhibition that Jesse Harrod was in. And it just kind of felt like a legacy that I wanted to, my work was speaking to at the time. I think still does, but the, and then next thing I know, I graduated in 2020 and the pandemic hit. And my job prospects of like <laughs> teaching at a university or whatever is like in the toilet. And mm. I was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm really good at teaching children. And I had moved home. My parents are, they work in hospital, but they're, I call them the quiet heroes. Mm. My mom works in a cafeteria and my stepdad is a transport. And so they were, you know, working overtime and all this stress. Right. And so, I came home to help them as well as like to kind of reset and figure things out. And my elementary school in the district that I went to was hiring emergency te- certified teachers to teach reading. Uh, Cause
0: you're like, I've done, were, <laughs> I've done that.
1: I've done that. And so I started teaching kindergarten, first and second grade reading. And mm. that was how it kind of all started. And I'm currently, I, I love being an artist. I think it's, you know, it'll never change, but I decided to go back to school to get my certification in preschool to 4th grade mm. cuz I love art. I think it's amazing, but there's something about teaching the younger students, when having a homeroom class that I I I'm stellar at. I, you know, I can do it and I'm great at it and it's in my work, I think Really fuels off like engaging with younger audiences, and I constantly am thinking about ways to connect them mm-hmm. in multiple ways. But I think being in the classroom and being a queer teacher in the classroom for students is where I thrive and where I can, you know, I think some of the best performance art is when I'm in front of in front of 16 <laughs> kindergartners um, oh. for the day, and you're like this this audience. Here we go. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. It um, is such a performance.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like you, you have to be animated. You have to mm-hmm. be, I I think you have to be flamboyant in some ways. Like you, you can't read a story and say the three little pigs cross the, no, they're not mm. going to, they're going to be like, they're going to yeah. be so bored. And so <laughs> I think that that's where I'm, I'm feeling my calling. And I think mm. a lot of my work has, started to reflect that in a lot of ways and yeah we can talk about it more but yeah Yeah. that's my like that's my journey
0: so much in there thank you for sharing all of it one thing that really stood out to me was you you called it I think stressful when you were teaching in Philadelphia and you know hearing this word over and over again And I wrote down, like, I think that's traumatic. I don't know that that's just stressful. Like, that's a little more intense than just stressful.
1: (laughs) Totally, totally.
0: Um, And you said something about, like, you hid within your artwork, which was really beautiful in a way to me that it felt like, and I might just be putting words in your mouth, but (laughs) it felt like you kind of went there first and then kind of built up this sort of bravery. I think it took a lot of bravery to start responding in the way that you did saying, you know, mm. that's not okay. Like, Please stop yeah. doing that. And yeah. then that became part of your work too. And it sounds like that first performance piece was just super powerful.
1: Yeah, it was, it definitely was like a shift in my practice. Like, I think I've always mm. been like a two-dimensional space maker, but I mm-hmm. think performance was a way to just get into the real, like get into 3D and explore other elements that I have started to think about in my practice now like an installation Mm -hmm. and in video and with the props and garments and things like that that are a part of my portfolio
0: yeah and then would you do you ever display those like you have a performance and then would you display those props and garments as well
1: Mm -hmm. yes I do have my my website earlier work I made a series of hobby horses that I felt like the gender of equality a trusty sidekick in mm-hmm. the, a part of the work and so the hobby horse kind of became this way of how do i say this it's just kind of got this this like tool in some way of fantasy play and making and but also like it's a hyper phallic object um mm-hmm. and there's like something that's so like ridiculous about it and so these hobby horses were then used to invite people to to race on <laughs> and the And, you know, I was hand sequining everything and using Renmin fabric to just kind of make these. And there were some other objects that were around the room as like zines and other plush toys. And this was mm. the first iteration of play that, and then this photo was me kind of being the ringleader. It was all about me at this moment, but people were from the audience They didn't know they were going to participate, but I would like, you know, (laughs) coyly pull them in and, and then they raced and, and that work had gone on to be another few things. And again, this was I like to keep it a safe space. And so Mm -hmm. I was, I'm like in my underwear and very vulnerable. And Mm -hmm. I, and again, this is like all an artist run spaces. Part of that was, I was like, Oh I I have two lives. I was like I have this art version of myself and then I have this teacher version of myself I have to mm-hmm. keep private. And I think that was also a weird time to figure out and I have like obviously I mean I you know I'm 32. I've matured. I've gained more confidence and so when like administration go I found your website. <laughs> I just go yeah I'm very busy. Or I make a joke like, yeah, it's all in storage. I have everything. (laughs) (laughs) I have everything if you want to buy something, you know? I always make a joke like that. And, you know, that's usually how it ends. Like i never have, and I think the times have changed. I think people are more out at work and I think there's queerness everywhere. And Mm -hmm. I think the culture is more accepting even in Erie, Pennsylvania, which is great. But yeah, that's.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask, whether you share any of your work with students or if you talk about your sort of like, I'm an artist and, and mm-hmm. do you talk about that side of your work? I feel like I'm sure with, especially with the younger kids that you have now, you probably can't share everything.
1: Like are aspects I, that you do? Yeah. I will say yeah. in 2020, I was, you know, supposed to graduate and there was like all of this unknown about mm-hmm. the world and so my thesis show was put on pause and mm. the work that I was creating and you know my very exciting studio was locked and right. shut down and I couldn't even access it because we uh. had to leave early and so my, my my life changed I was teaching kindergarten I was reading with first graders and so right I told them I was like I want I want to you to be a part of this project with me I have to have an art show I'm an artist mm-hmm. um, and so they couldn't go to the show it was in Richmond and they live in Erie but I could share with them photos and you know I could make a, a space like we could plan the space together and so this was kind of in response to what their mm-hmm. what their work was and this was called it's going to feel like Wednesday all day <laughs> and this exhibition was a collaboration with Two partner teacher friends, they're actually sisters, Carissa Kaith and Corinne Kaith, for now last name is Stuart. But I worked really c- closely with their classes and they had made these like really amazing penguins and the penguins were all so unique and had their own little personality. And I said, I really want to do something with your penguins. Can I put them in my art show? And I was like, well, they just can't be penguins. They have to be something special. And then they were like, cheerleaders! <laughs> so we, I found these like old oh. cheerleading costumes from the family showcase. And it's on usually around Mother's Day. But it was a Mother's Day play that I was in. I mean, it, oh. this had been passed down from when I was in kindergarten. Wow. Um, I wasn't a cheerleader, but I remember the costumes. And they... We're just, I just borrowed all these things and a lot of the work that I was thinking about at the gallery was like things that could return to the, the school or like things that were part of the lesson. And so um, I created all these flowers that after the exhibition went back to Iroquois and were just put up places, given to teachers, just as like these little moments of, that went out. And we were on winter break. We went virtual for two weeks. So the new year was our first time back into the building after a month. So I was like, we need to do something for the kids. Like we have to do something. And so I painted all of these signs that just said, we missed you, welcome back. Good morning, 2021. Like you look taller. <laughs> Are those new shoes, just like these other like really, really funny things? We missed you, welcome back. And just really filled the the school with these like hand-painted signs that were just on you know white backdrop paper or whatever like you right. use for bulletin boards
0: yeah. and
1: we got out the pom-poms from the Mother's Day parade and we like cheered all the we power greeted all the kids into the oh, building and so yeah that was just like something that I was I experimented with and did to you know introduce my students to their work and that had an mm-hmm. end goal like they had they were a part of the work from the beginning and whether it was me thinking about them or them actually being a part of it, like the trying to create a joy for the students to mm. do was, and there's a lot of things in this space, but all 32 kids artwork, a piece that they made was included into the show. That was yeah. one way that I included the students recently in terms of like my actual teaching. I, I don't necessarily bring it up all often. But I do, I do often talk about quilting or something when it pertains mm-hmm. to a lesson. I like to include, I think, a like material element into my kids' learning to build fine motor. Sewing is a great way to build fine motor for kids. And especially when they're still developing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of yeah. how I think about work, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you teach, I feel like those younger ages are so much fun. They're
1: mm-hmm. so
0: open. And so like, there's so much creativity there. I'm always yeah. taking pictures of my daughter's artwork. And I'm like, Oh, I need to like that needs to be a giant painting. That's just mm-hmm. the colors, yeah. the composition, somehow there's something they do. Mm-hmm. That's just incredible.
1: Completely. And I I in my classroom, I don't necessarily like I don't often go we're going to make a penguin like we're going to make right. this just I because I don't want to limit their creativity. So oftentimes I'll just put out supplies in like a semi-organized fashion on a table and I just let them do what they want to do. Um, yeah. And their investment into the work is, I think, far beyond what i could do with a like this is a penguin <laughs> mm-hmm. like, exactly. um and I, I mean i totally res- i totally like respect both ends but and i think these ones like i just loved their personality and sometimes their s- stories that they the students made with the penguins was special they all gave them names they all told me like what they like to eat and oh. i mean this was a part of a lesson to, about penguins so they you know, made their own, like the framing of the lesson was, I mean, different, but in terms of like play-based art, I, I just, I let them go, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense that, you know, I always think about it as that this, the child is the artist. So letting them be the artist, letting them have the ideas and experience all of what it means to be an artist. That it's not Mm -hmm. just like following instructions. It's figuring out, okay, I've got these materials. Like, what do I do with these materials?
1: Yeah. Um, And I, as a teacher, I mean, I I feel like I often am because of like the the nature of my classroom. Like I often am acting as the facilitator mm -hmm. or like, I hate to be the referee, but you know, sometimes you got to be the referee. Mm -hmm. But I really, I really love when I get to be the parallel player Mm -hmm. or like someone that's at the table with them and just mm-hmm. doing my own thing and just being a comfortable presence next to them and letting them figure it out if that makes sense mm-hmm. and that is something i'm still working on as a teacher i think i'm not perfect at it and i'm like my new resolution is to get out of the referee get out of the
0: like facilitator I forgot, facilitator i forgot
1: that word um, yeah. and leader and get more into the parallel player to just be in a space with my kids to have them work comfortably if that makes sense
0: yeah no i love that term i don't know that i've heard that before parallel player but that makes so much sense and i like that way of terming it that you're playing alongside them the same way they are and there's so much learning that comes from playing Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah
0: beautiful hi folks thanks for listening i hope you're enjoying this episode I'm jumping in to share one of the tools that I love. If you're thinking about starting your own podcast or video series, Zencaster is super helpful. Zencaster is an all-in-one podcast production suite that gives you studio-quality audio and video without needing all the technical know-how. It records each guest locally and then uploads crystal clear audio and video right into the suite so you have high quality raw materials to work with. You can try it out for free at zen.ai slash teaching and if you do decide to sign up for a pro account, you get 30% off with this link, and you'll be helping support this show. I love Zencaster because it records two separate tracks to make editing easier, and all I have to do is send a link to the guest. It can also handle multiple guests, and there are options for audio only, recording audio while viewing video, or recording both audio and video. I usually opt for just audio so I can record in my PJs. (laughs) Now the secret's out. The link to get 30% off pro and throw some support our way is zen.ai slash teaching artist pod. I'll throw that link in the show notes as well. So you can try Zencaster. And then we've talked a lot about some of the work that you've created, but I'm curious about your process. Is there a lot of play involved? Um, <laughs> what yeah. is your what um, is your sort of process like? And is it different I, for like the textile work versus the performance work?
1: Yes, I will say I am currently in my life. I'm like responding to projects and exhibitions, and so I have mm-hmm. deadlines. I have, which I'm very grateful for. Like I'm super excited these are big things in my career and you know I'm teaching I'm like I can do both and I'm very committed and so in aspects of play in my work I don't I haven't done a lot of the things that I wish I would have been able to do when I was in grad school I mm-hmm. feel like I try to mimic in grad school I was like really trying to mimic the way my kids play and like I'm on the ground I'm rolling I'm sitting on my belly I'm drawing on my belly And was trying to like really master that world building and kind of think about that space. But now I'm really into like the technical, like nitty gritty of I need flowers. Like I need to sew and make 500 flowers. So I'm going to sit in front of Grey's Anatomy and I'm going to sew and work. And I like, you know... I experiment and I put sequins on one, and I go, ooh, i like I like that color scheme. I'm gonna do that yeah. fifteen more times until I run out of fabric and so it's very different and a very yeah. different type of play, but I think about that as like a way to figure things out and teach myself and experiment and I do I'm very lucky like I live in Erie, Pennsylvania, which is you know not a art capital, and so rent is very affordable and so My studio space is very large and so I can have a drawing space and I can have a sewing space and I can leave my sewing or I mean my hand sewing space and then I can leave my sewing machine up and just like move back and do that. And so that's been very fortunate to do. And then I'm very lucky because I I can leave most of my schoolwork at school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I don't have to take it home with me. Occasionally, you know, occasionally I do, which is another work life balance. I think I still try to figure out, but like I'm in the studio, it's five o'clock. I've taken a shower, I'm in my comfy clothes, and I'm going to just work until 10. And that's like my, and you know, that's project mode. Like I, that's yeah. like, I would love to get back to play and things that I am like more experimenting. And mm-hmm. I try to do that with like dying dyeing cloth or like like tie dyeing cloth and that's kind of like a, where I get ex, get more experimental like I'm like I need blue fabric and I'm like oh I can just go buy blue let's dye make some. yeah <laughs> let's make some and so that's kind of a space where I do experiment and mm-hmm. have fun if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah there's there's definitely a balance between like production production mode mm-hmm. and play and having time to experiment and it's always interesting to hear how other artists handle that. Like I've heard some people it's like production, production, production. And then maybe there's like a residency that gives you that time and space for experimentation. Or there's like mm-hmm. a self-imposed <laughs> summer residency. Just, okay, mm-hmm. I'm not teaching. I'm going to take time and like mm-hmm. do my play.
1: <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's
0: totally. so interesting to hear too how you're balancing that time.
1: I'm, I feel like I'm just in the hustle. Like I'm like, yeah. we got to go. Like. <laughs> I picked up some McDonald's. That's gonna be dinner, and I'm gonna like, I'm gonna burn it off when I'm running around my room. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) making (laughs) those 500 flowers.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, some things when you're sequencing, like you have to have a plan, you have to focus. But I think some things, like I think arranging, and there's play. There's obviously Mm -hmm. a lot of play in my work that comes to comes to get out. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and then I'm curious too how you. Find opportunities. Is it like are you at the point now where people are kind of coming to you and saying, we want you to be in this show? like here's your deadline. Are you still seeking out a lot of opportunities? That's that um, like? I think
1: I think it's a little bit of both. Like I'm very mm-hmm. fortunate. I had an exhibition at Illinois State University, which was a huge opportunity. And I thank my friend and curator. Jess Bingham, who she runs an artist-run space called Project 1612 in Peoria, Illinois. And that space, I had not met her. I applied to their show and drove my hobby horses. And we did, we did the hobby horse races oh. um, together. And she had just had her daughter. Her daughter's like Turning, I think her daughter's four now, and it's like such a beautiful oh. thing. But her, she had just had her daughter, and she was like, I want to be, she was pregnant when she, when when the open call was. And she told me, she was like, I want to have my daughter so we can both ride a hobby horse together. Oh. Um, and that was special. And so when she was mm-hmm. thinking of an exhibition for my work, like she was thinking of an exhibition, she thought of me first, which is really mm-hmm. special. And it was just yeah. kind of like that that show was in response to. The safe zone training that a lot of universities took on, that kind of trickled down to high schools and, you know, now elementary schools, but thinking about queer youth and providing them a safe teacher to be like, to, for them to be out to. And it was right in the time of Matthew Shepard's murder. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, Matthew Shepard was a boy in Wyoming and he was walking home and he was gay bashed. and. Found dead or almost dead, and then was pronounced dead in the Mm -hmm. hospital. But his that legacy of like queerness coming out of this like ghost was Mm -hmm. a really meaningful and like powerful thing that that I was thinking about a lot in my work, thinking about like Lee Bowery and the Coquettes and these other queer history icons that we lost to during the AIDS crisis Mm -hmm. and other queer artists and individuals like Keith Haring, and so that idea of what would a queer ghost look like and what would Mm. their clothes be and I was like and I went back to thinking like a child and I was like what would a queer ghost look like I don't think they would be a white cotton bedsheet that we see at (laughs) Halloween time and like I think they would be more full of life more colorful and that kind of had me thinking about the work that I mostly have been focusing on the last year thinking about the AIDS Memorial Quilts and these other like extravagant performances and kind of like assembling and creating these very large and they're six feet tall ghost that I call ghost, but these are like quilted and pieced forms and the heaviness of them I feel kind of like thinks about this in a way that their clothes drag on the floor in a similar pageantry mm-hmm. that a drag queen may have with their garments. And there's this warmth and life in the work, but there's also this, Mm. this sadness. And so on many of the ghosts, there's an (sighs) Afghan blanket that was, and this just literally came out of play. Like I'm working on these quilts and I'm, I bought all these Afghan blankets and I was like, I'm going to cut smiley faces into them. And when they were hanging in my studio, they were smiley faces. But the second I draped one over the form, it kind of became this sag And Mm -hmm. I was immediately, like, triggered to the A.A. Bronson's piece of Felix Parts. Um, It's a very large billboard portrait of his friend and comrade and artist collective member. And I believe lover. I'm not 100% sure on that right now. But but he took care of Felix when he was dying of AIDS. And the the day he died, he took his photograph when he's his gaunt you know, when you die, your face, you, it's this, it relaxes after all this time. And it's like this moment of peace. And so the drape of this smiley face kind of becomes mm-hmm. relaxed in a scream or some way. And so that was a, that was a powerful discovery of play in my studio that I just was like, I, I need to run with this for a while and figure it out. And, Parse it out, and that nonlinearity, as you can imagine, me in this interview, like there's a lot of nonlinear jumping points, is like throughout my practice of like we're here, we're here, we're here, we're here, we're here, here. and and I hope that there's a thread that connects them together. But for me, there's I sometimes don't need it. Like I'm like this is just gonna be here, and this needs to be here right now. And if you get it, that's great. But if you don't get it, it just can be this offshoot thing if that makes
0: sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think they do all tie together. Like the, the ideas are so rich and those do tie together. I see throughout your work and then like aesthetically just the colors and the, like the sort of textures that you're working with. Yeah. These faces are incredible in there. And that combination of the, like you were talking about the sort of heaviness and like this somehow it's sad and happy at the same time, which connects so much to what you are also talking about. Yeah, really, really powerful work. And we so I found your work through Stay Home Gallery, which has some of your work in a show right now. I don't know if you'd want to talk about that work. And that show we were talking a little bit before we started recording.
1: So yeah, again, that's like another thing I, I follow a lot of places on Instagram I feel like sometimes that maybe ages me but I just I find that Instagram is the best tool for an artist to have it sets reminders for me I'm like oh this show's coming up this show's going to apply to on the 15th of January it's the 9th of January I have five days I'm gonna put that on my calendar like right. I love and respect that about Instagram and I think that was one way that I, I do seek opportunities and mm-hmm. mostly they're out of artist run spaces. And I was a member of an artist-run space in Philadelphia for many years called Little Berlin. I believe because of the pandemic, it's now closed. But being a member of, and also I think a lot of my research comes out of thinking about collectivity, like artists-run spaces and the power that that kind of creates and the synergy of ideas and modes and all of these things fueling together to create a common goal. And I think that's a beautiful thing, Stay Home gallery. Has is like their their energy and their power to create art opportunities for emerging artists like myself mm-hmm. to be at is is something that I want to speak to and I want to support and so I'm like and it was like oh they're queer that's another great thing that's powerfully aligned that's a greatly aligned with my practice so I was like even if they don't accept me I'm like they can have my money like that was like they oh. can have my application money like right. I feel I feel good and confident. About applying to this Mm -hmm. because it's it's a part of my mission as a person. Um, Mm -hmm. Because as you know, us teachers don't make a lot of money to be applying for a lot of shows, and so I feel very strategic about the ones that I apply to. At least right now, yeah. Because I, you know, you can't make art when you're worried about toothpaste. Like you can't (laughs) apply for shows when you're worried about toothpaste. And so that work is a lot smaller. It was. My, my studio shrunk significantly mm-hmm. and I was just thinking about, well, I started to do research along, like, again, thinking about queer history. There's an abandoned practice called Polari, which was out of England and kind of was this, like, I like to think about it as a child's, like, pig Latin or mm-hmm. a way of communicating, but it's this, like, secret coded language that If I were to speak to someone who was also queer and knew the language, we could have a secret conversation, whether Mm -hmm. it was to like sleep with each other, like have sex, casual sex, or just find community in each other, or like find a laugh in someone's outfit or, or share gossip in some way. And it was a way for individuals to like evade police or undercover cops or, you know, someone who they might think is queer, but is actually straight and, you know, prevent them from getting gay bashed. And it was just this way to be safe. And, you know, because of technology, it just became an outdated mode of technology. But there is a wonderful app that you can download called Polari. And it has a lot of this lingo and things. But that type of gibberish and symbols of how things are created was a launching point for me to just think about like the imagery of these quilts that i was working on and so i i titled them all english words like i think part of me is still trying to suss out and really investigate that type of language i think Mm -hmm. learning a new language is better when you speak it and i don't have anyone to speak it to so it's like you know Mm -hmm. it's a slow roll (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot, I feel like there's a lot going on in my life. So mm-hmm. I, but that part of me is just thinking about these symbols that might be gibberish to like, or a visual like explosion, but is actually like tells a story and mm-hmm. in some way. And these early quilts were a way to kind of like think about that mm-hmm. as well as build the technical aspect of the work. because. I find myself being a very sloppy maker and I relate to that. <laughs> uh, and I am always wanting to like, you know, build my technique, but just so it could be more effective and easier. But oftentimes I'm like, this just has like in I think sometimes in the DIY art scene, like I'm like, this just has to stay up for one night. Like this just has <laughs> to stand for 48 hours and then it's right. in the garbage. <laughs> like <laughs> or it becomes a code again. I don't know, you know, it's like I you find mm-hmm. that you have to figure these things out. Um, mm-hmm. and I love that. That's what I love about artists from spaces and I like of this raw DIY thing. So I try to bring that into my genuine art making, but there's also some time there's also value and richness in doing it right the first time. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and so that was an experiment to learn how to quilt, teach myself do it right, not in a rush. Like the, I, there wasn't much of a deadline for the work, but it was a way to experiment and teach myself other sequencing technique and other embellishment technique and explore applique and these other methods that I think are rooted in queer protest and POC protest and, but I had not had a chance to do so. It was another way to learn that and honor that tradition.
0: Yeah, beautiful. And you just mentioned sort of this like. I want to say intersectionality, this sort of like overlap between queer protest and protest for Black lives or, you know, other sort of protests like the, I'm thinking of like Cesar Chavez, you know, back in the day. I'm curious if any of that comes in and especially just thinking back to that experience you had when you went to Philadelphia and a lot of it was traumatic, but you also talked about being the one white person there. Like what was... Mm -hmm how did that change you how did, does that like come into your work and do you do you find overlap there in thinking about these sort of overlapping social justice issues
1: yeah i do i i often if there's something i don't know i try to go back to where it is or if maybe if i if i'm lacking information like i'm like where is this i do where is this word come from where does this mm-hmm where does this technique actually come from? Because like, mm-hmm. I didn't make it up. I don't think that like this person that's a blog poster, or when I googled it, actually made it up. Like, where does it mm-hmm. actually, where does it root from? And mm-hmm. I think with a lot of textile rich things, like oftentimes, there's a lineage that I have spent, and I continue to try to do is like, where, where does, where's the source? And mm-hmm. how can I honor the source of that person of that community or like base and how can I represent that, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. And how do I continue to educate myself and my language and to better my teaching, but also like if I'm going to teach something in my classroom, where does that etymology of that word come from? Or like how do I can I like bring that into something else and like not just know it up here, but like know it here and in my work Mm -hmm. and in my practice. And I think that's an evolving thing because I think language changes so often. And I mean, if you were to call me a faggot 10 years ago, I think mm-hmm. I made a would have like, you know, shuddered. But now I'm just mm-hmm. like, hey girl, like, you know, like, hey, hey like, you know, like, it's just this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that often happens with queer. Like, I think there's a generation that still like shudders from that word. But, you know, it's like a lot of my generation embraces that language, but it's like still being honored of the individuals who maybe don't and you know mm-hmm. respecting pronouns and two spirit identities and other things that that they of the language that they choose and being intentional about that if that if that answers that question
0: yeah i think so i love that idea of kind of going back to the root of things and continuing to learn as well like we're you know always learning unlearning <laughs> figuring it out trying to do better and then i like to kind of start to wrap up with a question I feel like you've actually maybe talked a lot about but I like to ask people what are you curious about I feel like this is going to open like a giant giant web of things for you I'm curious about everything
1: (laughs) I mean I definitely am I definitely am curious about a lot of things but I will just I'm I'm very fascinated with child development and like Mm. the science that is that goes with teaching I think there's so many disconnects that are there. And Mm. I understand that like, you know, children develop at a different rate. And I mean, I don't have a child. So I'm not I'm only seeing I have not got to experience the joy of like, raising someone from, you know, here to being six, or I get to experience them when (laughs) they are four in my classroom. And it's, I just I feel like I'm very focused on building that gross motor development and like really mm-hmm. seeing that fine motor development and like embracing those cognitive emotional spaces for students and mm-hmm. um, really celebrating those things. And I try to bring the the science in, into my teaching. And I think mm-hmm. that's one thing that I mentioned, but I like thinking about kids, you know, benefit more from play than they do direct instruction. Like they could hear me mm-hmm. talk all day, but play is this, space of where they're learning and being their own, their own version of an artist or engineer or scientist or writer, or mail deliverer. And they're, they're learning, they're gaining it more experience that way. And so I am just curious more teaching myself and finding ways to just improve that in my, in my classroom and in my teaching. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how it would tell that aspect of my, it'll end up in my work, but I, I know it'll go there somewhere.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it all comes back around. And even if it's not obvious, like it feeds into what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And that is so important to think about with our students and just keep keep learning, keep improving. It is so cool as a parent too to see that growth, but also to see it in students. I had almost two years where we were virtual. I wasn't really seeing my students. And then I came back in the fall and I was like, you're like two feet taller. <laughs> and mm-hmm. How are you? Like, you know, the last time I saw you, you were a little tiny second grader and now you're like fourth grade. What's happening? <laughs> mm-hmm. Just seeing that growth too. And then seeing how their personalities keep changing. All of it is, is really, really amazing as a teacher.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I, there's something about like the unbridled joy that when mm. they've achieved something that was unexpected, because I think sometimes like, you know, that brain development, their brain is growing so fast and so much. And like, it's like, they nailed that K sound. Oh my gosh. And you're like, I, I'm i shaking. I'm so happy. <laughs> and, it's oh. like, and I think that is, I, I maybe I'll never get old or like when they learn to read, like I had a student mm. learn to read or they were struggling with reading and then one day after school their dad went to pick them up and they were like dad I want to read you this story and the whole time I was like oh no what's going to happen oh. and his dad mentioned to me he was like that's the first book he read to me and I mm-hmm. was like oh. you know I was yeah. like I was a puddle <laughs> in the corner but I but it was this moment that I'll never forget and mm-hmm. I think that is I was like this is where I need to be in the classroom and mm-hmm. and so it yeah that's, I'm very fascinated with oh. child development.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Another just kind of fun, silly question. What is your favorite food? Um,
1: <laughs> I was listen, I listened to the other podcast and I was like, I need to find a favorite food because I, <laughs> I won't have one. Um, but I love coffee. Like I just, I mean, it's not a food, but I love coffee. But to answer the food question, uh, yes, cheers. Um, cheers. To answer the food question, I... I like, there's something about like little salt and pepper on watermelon Ooh. on like a summer day that I'm just like, I could eat this all day. Wow. Um, so I like salt and pepper on my watermelon.
0: Ooh, I have to try that now.
1: Yeah. I Some like people that. like it with just salt, but I think like, I think like a little coarse pepper, pepper a little coarse pepper just makes it a little smoky. like look, look, yeah. mm. mm. You might be like, Eric, like this that. is disgusting, but...
0: No, I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, Hmm, I really have to try that. I might end up saying it's not, not good, but <laughs> we'll <Yeah>. see <laughs> yeah.
1: um, um, this summer when you figure it out, when you, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I'll have to come back to you and be like, all right, good recommendation, or maybe not so much. <laughs> oh. And then is there anybody that you'd want to give sort of like a shout out or thank you?
1: I, my, Slippery Rock painting professor, Heather Hurdle is one of my cheerleaders and is just a dear friend and has just been like a huge support since I not only graduated, but when I was in school and I just feel like I have to mention them there. She's just an amazing mom and artist and professor and just really helped me think about the creativity of like thinking about children early on in my career even it was like we were talking about painting and she was like this is a great thing to do with your kids or like when we talked about enthusiasm of being a flamboyant excited teacher she's that mm-hmm. with her college students and oh. i think that's a spirit that i carry in my art practice or in my mm-hmm. teaching practice is that joy and excitement so yeah i just have to say her
0: ah oh, that's beautiful yeah i'm reading now teaching to transgress by bell hooks and that was a big part of like one of my sort of takeaways so far has been that idea that excitement learning being fun not being relegated to the elementary classroom that like it should be fun even at the university level it should be exciting and like enjoyable at all levels and you know why why do we so often kind of look down on play at the university level yeah
1: Thank you. I have to add that to my list. Yeah, I actually have I, like, so I have high, a but... giant, yeah. giant reading list. <laughs> yeah. I, I, usually I listen, if I can get it on Audible, like if I can listen to it in the car, it helps. But then I find myself like having to go back and be like, oh, I need to highlight that. Like, oh, I need to. Right. You buy the Audible and you also buy the book. So you can. Like, you have both. You have both. <laughs> but
0: um... yeah, I'm the same way. I need the visual. Mm-hmm. I guess, totally. you know, we're artists. We're visual yeah. people. <laughs> And then last thing, where can people connect with you online?
1: My Instagram is my name at Eric Anthony Burtis. You can find me probably in a tag at the Stay Home Gallery post. And yeah, look out for exciting things happening in 2022 and 2023, which I'm excited to share.
0: Yes. um, Awesome. Do you have um, any that you can share now that you want to um, like? Yeah, I'm, I'm having. An ex- yeah, I'm <laughs>
1: excited. I'm having an exhibition at Kutztown University, which is in mm. Pennsylvania, and it's in correlation with their art conference, art education conference, and I'm their artist in residence that will be having yeah. an exhibition during the conference, and so it's like a major solo show for me and a lot of the work that i've spoken about this entire time is going to be revealed at that show and so that will be in october of 2023 smaller i'm i'm getting back into painting i'm working with i'm designing some murals mm. for a school in erie and i'm excited to work with their community and students to brighten up the school with some murals and engaging with Another conference, an education conference, but like 250 volunteers will be painting the murals that we design and that I design. And so I've been working with the school and members of the conference organization team and ways to bring joy into children's lives. And a lot of Erie schools are in person. And so, but you know, the buildings, they need a fresh coat of paint. And so, yeah, this is exciting to be able to not only work with students on their own murals and things like that but also their space and bringing them joy so yeah um, that's been it's it's a lot but it's good it's good so I'm excited to share that
0: that's so exciting congrats on the upcoming big solo show and then murals a lot of work definitely yeah (laughs) but that's awesome
1: thank you exciting thank you yeah I'm excited. Yeah. So, and my Instagram is, it's the art, it's the dog, it's the (laughs) things, my kid, the cool things my kids make and Mm -hmm. my students make. And it's a lot of the lake. I really love Lake Erie. Uh, I love being around water and yeah. So it's, it's it's the, it's all of everything.
0: (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I've struggled to, I don't have a personal Instagram. It's just kind of all in one place, but. Yeah, having multiple for like podcasts versus art, even that is tricky.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I again it's like the double life thing. Like I couldn't do it anymore. It was like I I just have to be.
0: It's all in one.
1: It's like you're a
0: whole person.
1: I'm a whole person. You get you get the art, you get the puppy, you get the teaching. You don't like it. Get it all. Too bad. And the lake. (laughs) And the lake.
0: love it. Thank you so much, Eric. It's um, nice to meet and you. I will share your links as well. So everybody Perfect. check the show notes, go check out all of his incredible work. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this, for sharing thank with you. us.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I, it's great meeting you.
0: Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or podcast at gmail.com Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists And if you loved this episode please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you